Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in scripture. Thanks for joining us. We, in these Light Bears podcasts, we really want to do a, a great job of providing an overview of books of Scripture. And so you're going to listen to some of these and you're going to say, wow, I wish we could go into greater depth or, hey, there's issues here that that, that we're not really dealing with. And, and that's the nature of, of looking at these in 30-minute chunks. But what we want to do is provide... Uh, biblical literacy, to, to, to give a hunger for biblical literacy. So today we're going to be looking at the wisdom literature, and we're doing that with two of our Light Bears Fayetteville staffers. We're going to be doing that with Brett Arndt and Bethany Porter. Good to be here with you guys. Glad to be here. Andrew, we are not just glad, thrilled to be here with you. <laughs> well, what, I, what I'd love to do, we'll get into all the wisdom literature and, and hear all the wisdom that you guys have. But before we do that, some of the folks listening to this are not maybe real familiar with the discipleship side of things. And so give us a little insight when we say, hey, these are our discipleship staff. You know, you don't have to walk us through everything that Light Bears does, but what, what do your days kind of look like? Yeah, of course, it depends on the season, but but basically it, it is the the components of the discipleship program. So the the, the institute piece, the mentorship piece, uh, the community piece, the missions piece, uh, mine and Bethany's roles really to, to keep that that wheel moving, and, uh, and and so that's that's really what we do. Obviously, that's I mean, if you want to put a percentage on it, it's uh, depending on the season, maybe 70 percent students, thirty percent admin to, to do some of those things. So uh, that that's kind of our role in a nutshell. And obviously, there's there's all these deeper intricacies of that, but but that's what we do of the the discipleship piece. Those elements, it's our job to, to keep that uh, spinning through throughout the year. Yeah. Bethy, maybe give us a, you know, in a normal day, which is there a normal day, but what are a couple of the kind of specific things that might fill yeah. a normal day? Yeah, I mean, each day is pretty different. But for example, like today would be something like, hey, I'm going to meet with this house that's having a little bit of conflict. So let's talk through, hey, how can we love each other more? Are there any hurt feelings? Is there any forgiveness that needs to happen type conversation? Um, but then it's also like this morning I met with a girl that might be a house leader next year. We talked through, hey, what what does recruiting look like? Or even just how are you doing spiritually? How's your time in the word? Are you meeting with your mentor? Um, and then from everything to I've got some interns today that we're going to have a little bit of fun together and kind of usher in Christmas, Christmas together. Um, so every day is pretty different. And then there might be support raising for a day or, or podcasts, podcasts, or podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So no, yeah. that's right. That's great. Um, you mentioned recruiting. Uh, we are, uh, on all of our campuses heavily engaged in recruiting students uh-huh. for next fall. Um, but also at, um, Oklahoma state and at Mississippi state as well. So, um, if you're listening to this podcast and you are curious about participating in this, either yourself or a family member or a friend or something like that, um, you can get on lightbearers.com and get some more information there. Um, we also have a, a new way where you can just text and get some, get some quick information. So, um, you'll text five, 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 eight, eight, eight. I feel like I'm throwing up my American Idol figures yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, standard data and messaging rates may apply. Um, <laughs> 555-888, and you can text either UARC or uh, Starkville 
or OSU, depending on which campus you're interested in, and then you can kind of get some details there. So, um, well, let's jump into the to the wisdom literature. And so these are these books of the Bible uh, that are uh, basically around Psalms, but not Psalms. Right. In, in a sense, it's how we group them. So uh, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. They're called the they're called the wisdom literature. Um, why do we why do we group them this way? Why are they called the wisdom literature? Just kind of give some overarching thoughts, and then we'll dive in a little bit. I'd give two reasons, uh, and obviously you could give more, um, but 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 I'll say two. One is uh, simply because of their poetic makeup. So why are they grouped together? Um, it's it's because of that poetic makeup, and so we, we see that in Song of Songs. It's very poetic. We see that even in the Psalms. There's some poetry there. We see Job is an epic poem. Um, and um, even the Proverbs, uh, a lot of Hebrew poetry, there's a lot of parallels and, and, and there's a lot of rich images. And so that's that's what we get in the Proverbs of you, you have this image and it kind of parallels a, a fool and a wise man. And so there, there's all this imagery uh, and uh, and same with with, with Ecclesiastes of, of how it's read and so and how it's read. And so the, these books uh, really share kind of a literary similarity and that they're all very poetic they're all very image based and so so that that would be one which is maybe why it, it's attractive to some people i mean there are people out there right, right. who are poetic in nature there are cultures that are a little more poetic and so for some people this is a maybe harder thing to to branch into whereas for other people it just right. feels more natural that's not necessarily yeah. good or bad. And, and, and i think it would be fair to say that that generally uh, um a, a lot of believers when they're reading the old testament these are the books they they go to probably because of that poetic makeup mm-hmm. but uh yeah yeah i think that's a I think that's a fair assessment so, so that would be one as far as why they're grouped together. Two would be simply because uh, of the, the, these wisdom literature books, because of their emphasis on understanding and attaining wisdom for, for all areas of life. And that would include our relationship with, with one another, with the people of God, and wisdom and knowing God himself. And so I think one of the interesting things about the, the wisdom literature books is really up to this point in, in the Old Testament, it's a lot about the nation of Israel. And, and these books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, they, they, these are going to focus not so much on the nation, but really more on individuals and, and, and the the complexities of an individual's life and, and kind of life's big questions in what we face day to day. And so we'll, we'll see that in the Proverbs, kind of uh, wisdom for, for the day to day in the Proverbs. We see in, in Ecclesiastes, kind of wisdom on on life's big questions of well, what's what's the purpose of life well, what is success what does it mean to be successful in in song of songs we, we see wisdom in in marriage in love and in what to do with with sexual desire and longing the same with job as well wisdom in in hardship and suffering and so all of these books are cause, are called wisdom literature and they're grouped together because they all shed wisdom on the various aspects of individual life and so can they be given to the nation of Israel? Of course, yes. But I think that's also, going back to what we said earlier, that's also probably why a lot of people like going to them because it's really easy to apply and it's really easy these books are to glean wisdom for day-to-day things that we see in day-to-day life. That's good. good. Beth, anything you'd add? Yeah, I mean, just as you were talking, I was thinking it's interesting that as Americans, we tend we do tend to go to those books because we do like the cut and dry, this is what I need to do. Um, not that that's a bad thing because it's in the Bible, so we should be reading right. it. But it is interesting that that's probably where Israel was challenged of, hey, you you are an individual. You need to follow me with your heart. 
Whereas where we're probably need to be challenged is how are we as a community that's following good. Jesus? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Uh, maybe the best known of them is, is Proverbs. Um, sure. you know, when you think of wisdom literature, when you think of just the idea of wisdom and the Bible, pretty much everybody's going to go to Proverbs just mentally. Most of them, par- partly that's probably because most of them are written by Solomon, who the Bible describes as the wisest man, um, mm-hmm. ever. And, and who, who was given wisdom by God. That was his request of God. And, um, you know, as I look at Proverbs, there's this this moment in Proverbs nine where um, basically the image there is of a of a person of, of a man walking through a city in a sense, and so there's kind of a road that he's going down, um, and it says that that basically there, there's two different voices, and uh, one voice is what's called the the woman of folly, mm-hmm. and um, the other one is essentially the woman of wisdom. And they're, they're both calling from the heights and both of them are saying, interestingly, they're both saying the exact same thing. They're both saying, whoever is naive, whoever lacks wisdom, let him turn in here. And so it's just this really powerful image, I think, of uh, really life where we are walking through life and there are competing voices. Right. And, and the competing voices are both offering solutions. They're both offering solutions to, you want to interpret life correctly? Come on. I've got answers for you. And, um, and if you play out that image, the more you walk towards one voice, that voice becomes louder and the other voice becomes quieter. And so I think that that's this image that I go to in Proverbs a lot, um, that is so significant. And so then, you know, obviously it raises the question, okay, well, great. Well, how do I make sure that I hear the wisdom voice and not the folly voice? And, um, and in Proverbs chapter nine, it says, and it's repeated other places in the book, but the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so you want to get wisdom. Well, it, it starts with a proper posturing of oneself, one heart, right. one's heart before the Lord. Um, and so when we have fear, respect, reverence for uh, essentially for the Lord, but the way I would interpret that is kind of our proper place before the Lord, right. um, that he is God and we are not. And so when I have that proper fear of the Lord, that is actually the beginning of wisdom. Mm. Um, and, and then the other piece that Proverbs is going to say over and over and over and over again is if you want wisdom, you have to be teachable. Proverbs nine is going to say, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. So in a sense, the way to become wise is if your heart is in a place that is fearing the Lord and is teachable, then you will grow wise. And so the, the real danger, you know, Proverbs over and over again is going to bring up this, there's wisdom and folly and wisdom. And it's not just knowing the right thing to do or not. There's actually a moral quality to that. And mm-hmm. so folly is not simply shoot. I chose mustard when I chose, should have chose ketchup, <laughs> which as we all know is the right decision. Right. Ketchup is in fact the right decision, but real folly is there's a, there's a moral piece to that. Proverbs is going to say folly is so, so dangerous and then there's this verse towards the end. I think it's here. It's Proverbs 26. It says, "Do you see a man wise in his own in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him." And so, the worst thing is to think that you know everything. Um, and so, as we look at wisdom literature, there's this teachability that we are called to uh, embody and walk out. Right. Um, in our own lives. And so that's kind of a good test for all of us is, am I a teachable person? Sure. Uh, so anyways. Yeah. Cause when I think of 
really wise people in my life, I know that they themselves are actually surrounded by very wise people. And it's people that don't think that they're wise usually. So there's kind of a sense of it's someone that's walking through with mentors. They're regularly going to church. They're regularly seeking wisdom from God's word, but they don't think that they've arrived there yet. And there's, so there's a humility piece to it. And, and, and with that, I mean, just that posture of, I mean, we, we look at, I think, people like like Moses or people in, in particularly in the Old Testament that we're going through, people that we would deem as wise, there's a meekness about them. There, there's a humility. There, there's a teachability about them. And so uh, obviously, yeah, all of that would play to this, uh, this greater grasp of, of this idea of fear of the Lord. Well, if Proverbs is the best known one, right after Proverbs, the next one is one that Sometimes we, we pull verses from, but um, it, it's a little confusing sometimes you get into it, and that's Ecclesiastes. And so I know that as a staff, that's one that you guys have have walked through um, just over the last few months, um, just personally as a staff. But um, Bethany, I'll toss this one to you. I mean, if there's a best-known phrase from Ecclesiastes, it's everything is meaningless, and it, it's kind of front and center in chapter 1. That's what people know of it. Is that really the message of Ecclesiastes? Hey, nothing, nothing even matters. You know, what's your, yeah. what's your kind of answer yeah. there? I mean, it's one of those books we've talked about it of, it's not, probably not a good idea if you've never read it to just take one chapter and leave it at that. Cause it is pretty depressing. It's almost like an ammo for your cynicism of like, oh yeah, life, there is no point. I yeah. mean, you wake up, you go to bed. <laughs> What more? But you'll see Solomon throughout Ecclesiastes kind of go down all these different avenues of, okay, is this where I find meaning? So he everything from any sort of pleasure, like wealth, women, all that kind of stuff, he's trying and trying and trying to see, okay, is this the meaning of life? And he ends with, no, that, that really didn't satisfy me. But then he also goes to things that seem good. So hard work, he goes to, okay, I'm just going to work really hard, build up my wealth, Um, there's also a section where he goes into, I'm going to live life well with those that I love. I mean, so I read that and I think, oh, I mean, those are good things. Um, but he ends with, yeah, but I'm working hard. Um, and I'm not going to be able to see my kids enjoy my wealth or the person next to me who's actually cheating his way into hard work or cheating his way into wealth and success is getting the same blessings from the Lord that I am as far as like food and place to rest and safety. Um, So he really is grappling with those things. But then towards the end, it's almost like you see that he's able to lift his head up a little bit and actually say, yeah, but if I fear the Lord and keep his commandments, that's where I find meaning. Um, So I think for the believer, even just going through the wisdom piece again, there is meaning. At times it can feel meaningless because I think we all have at times been in that rut a little bit of I'm waking up going to work, paying my bills. Um, But that's when we can lift our heads up Mm -hmm. like Solomon did and say, but if I fear the Lord, so the the submission piece and walk in obedience, um, the Lord can take the seemingly trivial things and use that for his glory and his purposes. And um, I think the wisdom piece would say, okay, surround yourself then with people that are wise um, and, and God's word to know that there is purpose in us bringing him glory. So, yeah. Except like, Solomon didn't have bills to pay. Yeah, that's, that's the true. only that's the only distinction. <laughs> you know, it's interesting though. Everything you yeah. say, I'm like, man, yeah, that was however many hundreds, thousands of years ago, and now people are wrestling with the same stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's one of the things that just when you read Ecclesiastes, it just jumps out at you. 
to, to your point, Bethany, I think one of the interesting things that we get with Ecclesiastes, and, and that's what's interesting with, with this wisdom literature coupling, is Proverbs is, it's really kind of easy. It's, it's kind of this really black and white paralleled of this and this. Uh, if you do this, therefore this. Uh, and yet Ecclesiastes kind of shows, but it's, it's really not that simple. Um, and it's it's a little more complex. And so uh, Ecclesiastes is, is, is going to deal with uh, like some of those issues. Hey, I, I've got family. This is great. But yet it, it's not fully satisfying. And then to the end, it's back to that same kind of uh, theme or, or uh, points that, that we get in the Proverbs, this idea of fear the Lord. Uh, again, it goes back to the, this is, is the sole duty of man to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And so uh, you, you see kind of that conclusion in both. And yet uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the path in that is, is a little different. But and yet the ironic thing is both kind of come to that conclusion of fear the Lord. This is wisdom. This is the soul out of man. Well, and, you know, it, I think it's interesting that there's kind of this balance there of like, hey, these things aren't bad. Family's not bad. Right. Work's not bad. They're actually good things but they can't carry the weight of everything, right. you know? Uh-huh. And so like, um, I mean, one of the things Ecclesiastes is going to say is say, enjoy life with the woman you love all the days of your fleeting life for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you've labored under the sun. It's this idea of like, Hey, this is a good gift. And so I think that there's this challenge there to say delight in the good gifts right. of God, the people Absolutely. around you, the work he's given you. I mean, even possessions. I mean, you can, it's okay to delight in God's good gifts, but if you if you put too much weight on them, mm-hmm. then they crumble. Yeah. And and I think that's you know if Proverbs is hey this is the way what life normally works, then Ecclesiastes is really taking it to the to the level of right. okay. But if, if if all there is is this life, like what what do I do with that? It, right. it still seems out of balance. So um, so we move Proverbs Ecclesiastes. <laughs> um, then we have uh, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, um, also called Song of Songs. Um, I mean, that's another one that you read kind of like Ecclesiastes and there's a little bit of like, uh, what's going on here? Yeah. Help me, help me interpret just a little bit. Um, again, part of that's just cultural distinctives, but you know, there's part of you that looks at that and says, really, there's a a love poem in the Bible. Like, is is there something else I'm missing here? Uh, Brett, what, what speak into that one? I'll toss that one to someone else. Uh, which, which by the way, I I do want to note, uh, thank you, Andrew, for taking Proverbs and giving me Song of Solomon. That's (laughs) bam. Yeah. Um, so, so did you call it wisdom? Is that what you would call that? Uh, Oh, I, I, uh, yes. Uh, a a, a push off, a wise push off. No, um, yeah, to, to, to answer your question of, of really a, um, a love poem in the Bible, uh, I would say, uh, yeah. Uh, really a, a love poem in the Bible. Um, I, I think because of, of uh, it, Song of Solomon is so unique uh, in its content. And uh, I mean, if, if we've read it, uh, it it's, it's pretty intimate. There, there's some intimate details. And, and as a result, I, I think we don't really know what to do with that. And, and, and so we kind of have these varying viewpoints of well, what does this really mean? And so uh, some people would, would hold to this viewpoint of, of really more of it's an allegory. Uh, and that meaning that uh, the, the, the man and woman aren't really real. It, it's more of this literary expression of something else, namely the love of Christ and his bride or, or the church. Uh, and some people would, would kind of take that run with it and say, no, it's really more of a, a typological viewpoint that, yes, they were real people. Um, but it's still that the, their love is really a picture or a type uh, that that gives way again to to Christ's love for his church. 
And then others would, would hold the viewpoint, and, and, and this would be me, that, uh, that it actually just is, is a love, mm-hmm. it's a love poem. Uh, and, and so that's the viewpoint that I would hold. Uh, and so it, it's, you know, when it's talking about things like kisses and, and lovers and desire, the, these are actual things. It, it's, it's a love poem with actual desires written, uh, written to people. And so uh, marriage, love, attraction, sex, uh, the, these are all things that, that people deal with in our lives. And it would make sense that the Lord in his infinite wisdom would give us uh, poetry, God-inspired poetry to help us navigate some of those things. Uh, and, and so that, that's where Song of Songs takes place. So it, is it is it about marriage? Uh, I, I'd say, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of marriage uh, wisdom in there. And yet I, I do want to say that it's not necessarily a, a complete book on marriage. Uh, I think we need to be careful not to... Um, to make Song of Songs intend more than the Lord uh, meant for us to intend it. Uh, but I think what Song of Songs does do for us, particularly those who are married, uh, is it, it it gives us wisdom in what to do with some of these aspects, things like, like longing and loving and desire and God's good gifts like sex that, that give us a place and a context for those longings and those desires. And, and so uh, it, it would make sense that the Lord in his goodness would give us a, a, a God-inspired love poem to help us navigate some of those intimate details of life. Could it, um, in a sense, could it be the both and, I mean, I know we got to be cautious not to take stuff too far, but if it is a picture of marriage, then on some level, is it always going to be a picture of Christ in the church? Um, sure. I think that's probably this question out there of, yeah, can, can, can you, can you learn stuff on that level without it, without taking it too far? Uh, yeah. I'd say, yeah. Uh, of, I mean, I, again, I, I don't think it's a, a salvific issue per se, as far as uh, those who would hold it more uh, allegorically. But, but I, I mean, what, what is our marriage, but ultimately a, a uh, an allegory or a type uh, that gives way one day to uh, the greater reality that, uh, that we will be with Christ, we will be his bride and he will be our groom. And so, uh, sure, I, I think there, I think there's wisdom in that. I think scripture would even allude toward that. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's, that's totally fair. I just, I think it, it speaks to just a picture of, of delight in love and that that's a good thing. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think there, there's something there about delighting in one's spouse in treasuring one's spouse. I think that there's, there's certainly something there that is, that's a good thing. And to recognize this is a, this is a gift. Uh, marriage, sex, these are gifts from God. Um, they're good things, and and they're not something that you have to have. And we we know marriage is a gift from God. Scripture tells us singleness is a gift from God. There are different gifts from God. James one says every good thing and every perfect gift comes down from above. And so we want to see marriage as a gift, just as we do singleness as a gift. When when this was taught on an institute, one of the, the things that you noted was um, that, that sex is like a, a bonfire. It's powerful and good with the right boundaries. Right. And so I think that there's a piece of, hey, delight in this, kind of like Ecclesiastes, delighting in these things, and yet don't put more on them than you need to. Right. I mean, in Song of Solomon, it says, don't awaken love until it desires. Right. I mean, there's just these these healthy boundaries around these things that God's given us. And, and, and to that point of, I mean, that's, I think that's Song of Songs 8. Um, and, and just some practical wisdom there of in that scene, you've got this woman who uh, is really ready to to give herself to this man. 
And then to, to what, what you said, that's her, that's his response, the, the soon to be groom's response of let's not awaken love before it's time. And then even just, just the practicality of that and what that's communicating of one, it communicates that sexual desire isn't inherently bad. It's not a bad thing to, to long, to have sexual desire. Uh, but what that also communicates is uh, to your point, that there's a place for that, that there's a time for it, that let's not awaken it before it's time. There's a time and a context for that. And we need to enjoy it in the context that the Lord in his wisdom has, has provided. That's, that's great practical wisdom uh, in the midst of some really cool poetry. Because I think you see that too with Solomon struggling through, I mean, also sex, but also hard work and wealth of right. like, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but he was putting that above the Lord and above right. God's desires for mm. him. So it, it just keeps on striking me. This is such a heart issue of first, if you're going to fear the Lord, you're submitting to him and his desires for your life. So then as you delight yourself in the Lord, um, he'll give you the desires of your heart, which is all within context yeah. of submission to him. So, yeah, absolutely. Which I, you know, Bethany, as you mentioned that, it just reminds me that, um, you know, most of Proverbs is written by Solomon. Most scholars will say Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are written by Solomon. And then you look at Solomon's life and what's his life. His life is <laughs> wisdom early on. And then later, I mean, basically, and, and it says that his heart was divided. And so um, even though he had a sort of wisdom because his heart was divided, it actually turned him away into folly. And so that, that tie to the heart, mm-hmm. uh, that tie of the heart to the mind is, is really big. Yeah. Um, we see that in Solomon. Yeah. It's good. The other, the other wisdom book we're going to talk about today is, is Job. It's one that I've taught on a little bit before, but before I, I jump into any thoughts on it, um, either one of you guys want to take the uh, quick outline of it. Yeah, we can. Uh, I mean, Job is. Uh, you have this man from, I believe, it's Ur. Uh, so somewhere in the east, he, he was one of the, the the wealthiest or greatest men of the east. Uh, and, and then, really, we, we get to this kind of unique dialogue. I think it's actually the the longest dialogue we have between God and Satan all of Scripture. And, and and Job is kind of upheld as a good man, a righteous man. He's very wealthy, and, and you kind of have this dialogue back and forth between. Uh, God and Job, and, and and Satan basically says uh, that that hey, I'm I'm walking around this earth, uh, kind of devouring people, tempting people, and the Lord uh, poses really an interesting question of, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, he's a righteous man who fears me. Satan basically says, basically, more or less, he's a worshiper for hire. Once you take away that hedge of protection, once you take those things away, uh, he'll curse you to your face. So really this, this point of, God, you're not worthy of worship who you are in and of yourself, but... Um, uh, you're kind of getting worshipers for hire. And so the Lord permits Satan to take uh, over the next two chapters, his health, his wealth, his children. And, uh, and then really the, the rest of, of Job is kind of this dialogue between his, his and, and you guys can't see this in podcast land, but in, in finger quotes, friends who air quotes, uh, air quotes. Air quotes. <laughs> yeah, air quotes. Um, and, and I did, I did them too now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now we're all doing, we're all doing air quotes together. Yeah. But um but that again, it's it, the interesting thing. Job's friends kind of have almost this proverbial type wisdom of this, therefore this. And Job's saying, "But guys, it's it's not that simple. That it's it's this. I'm not, um, I'm not wicked per se. I haven't done anything wrong." And so there's kind of this dialogue back and forth. Uh, and eventually, God steps on the scene and uh, speaks through this terrifying uh, whirlwind and, and and starts saying, Job, where were you? And starts, and at the end of Job, he never, 
necessarily gives him the answer to why, but but instead he gives Job a bigger view of himself mm-hmm. in the midst of this suffering. And, and at the end, Job, uh, all that he lost, his wealth, his children, it's it's restored uh, twofold. Uh, and um, and that's that's kind of how the book ends. Mm-hmm. Bethany, you got any favorite spots from Job? Anything that stuck out to you over the years? Um, I mean, it's a really challenging book. I think um, the biggest thing that I've kind of learned from it is how to be a bad friend in suffering. <laughs> I think that, that always stands out to me of just kind of that blame of, hey, it's because of your sin that this is happening to you. Um, so there's kind of that feel of, well, if, if it's because of, of his sin, then we'd probably all be having that level of suffering as well. Um, I mean, it just reminds me in the New Testament of when Jesus says, oh, it's not because this person isn't lame because they did anything wrong. It's so that I can show who I am or show God's glory and the miracle that I'm about to do. Um, so it's always been a great reminder of suffering is actually pointing us to the Lord and his goodness and what he's capable of doing, despite either our flesh of we've done something to allow suffering, um, or he has allowed it, allowed Satan to do something in our life uh, to allow some sort of circumstance to happen. Um, so yeah, it's just been a great reminder for me. Yeah. I think that Scripture is going to say that in suffering, there there really are a variety of causes that we can look to, um, and they're going to show up at different times, and sometimes they may even be mixed together. And so uh, sometimes sin does cause suffering. Scripture makes that clear, that, that that happens sometimes. You see stories, for example, in Acts 5, where Ananias and Sapphira lie, and they're punished for it. That, that happens sometimes. Scripture's uh, abundantly clear on that, um, but that's not always the cause. And so, while Job's friends say some things that could be true in other cases, they're not necessarily true here. And so, we got to be cautious about just throwing some some truth cliches, some truthisms onto certain situations because it could be the wrong context. It might not apply. So sometimes it can be sin. Sometimes suffering simply comes because we live in a broken world. Uh, Romans tells us that that all creation groans. This world is broken. Um, in the season of Advent where we're recording right now, we're recording as we wait for Christmas, there's this, um, this, this posture of longing that we're supposed to have. We should look at the world around us and at the sin in our own lives, and we should long for home. We should long for things to be made right and made better. And suffering reminds us uh, that this world is broken. And so um, that's a cause sometimes. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's that the world is broken. Sometimes, as in the case of Job, it's actually because of righteousness that suffering comes. Uh, Job, uh, it says that Satan kind of identifies him because of his righteousness. And, And so that can be a cause sometimes. And but but really the big point here is we don't always we don't always get the why. Um, there's a variety of causes for suffering, and we're not always going to understand why. And so what Job graciously does, the book of Job graciously does, is it says, okay, number one, that suffering is not something that God is absent from, uh, which is such a good and 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 gracious thing. And and second, it it allows us to think and look at. What, what is our posture in the midst of suffering, and specifically when the why is unclear? When there is suffering and we don't understand why, 
what is our posture then? There's a a point to talking to God, mm. not simply about him. And that's probably true no matter whether we're the sufferer or not, but just, sure. yeah. hey, let's direct ourselves to the Lord rather than just kind of theologizing about, you know, here's, you know, here's what's going on here and here's what God is doing. No, I mean, if you're talking about God more than you're talking to God um, mm, in your good. in your suffering, um, maybe in all of life, uh, then that's a that's a concern there. And and Job, you know, in the midst of all of this, he says, you know, though he slay me, I will hope in him. There is this. If God is behind this suffering, he's still my only way out of the suffering as well. And so I'm going to hope in him. Mm. And then, you know, Bethany, as you point out, there is a, there's a strong lesson there of how do you come alongside those who are in suffering? And um, Job actually says at one point, he says, for the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend so that he does not forsake the fear of the almighty. And so this idea of, when we have somebody in suffering, step one is kindness. That's not saying there's not a place for truth. I'm not saying that. But step one is kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 you sit in it with people. Um, you start there, which ironically Job's friends did sit with him for a while before they spoke. Um, they should have sat longer. Um, <laughs> but there, there's, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a sitting in kindness with those around Um and, and, you know, if I'm honest, I'm really, really thankful that Job is in Scripture. As, yeah, as much as, you know, yeah, it can be a confusing one at times, uh, the reality is we suffer in this life. Mm-hmm. This world is broken. Sometimes in America we can hide from that a little bit because we can, you know, take Tylenol for our headaches and we can turn on the air conditioning when we get hot and we can look at our phones when we get bored you know, and so the the small minor annoyances that we have, we feel like we have answers to, but suffering finds us. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many in a lot of the world, many in America as well, they're present in suffering, whether that's right. physical pain or relational pain or whatever the case may be, just like Job is financial pain. I mean, Job suffers all of it, financial, relational, family, spiritual, medical. I mean, all of it. He suffers all of it. And and that makes me really thankful that that Job is in Scripture because for when we suffer, um, God has seen that mm-hmm. and God is present in it. And I mm-hmm. think that that's um, again as it, when this was taught at Institute, that was one of the points was we often suffer. We might understand. Mm-hmm. We can always trust right. this idea of, and we we don't have to love it. Job doesn't. Love it. It's not, and, and God never says, hey, surprise, this was actually good. No, that's not the point. The mm-hmm. point is God was present in the midst right. of the, the suffering. Um, Brad, uh, Brad Wheeler, who, who taught on this, he, he made a point, which I thought was really good. He, he said, in the midst of all of this, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily matter why, but what matters more is, is who, who you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you see that in the goodness of God in all of this, of in the midst of that hardship and struggle, God doesn't give him the answer to why, but he gives him a bigger picture of himself. Uh, and, and for Job, and, and as to your point, Andrew, for that, that needs to be enough. Mm-hmm. Of And that goes back to, 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 to Satan's uh, uh, kind of, of uh, push or, or, or accusation against the Lord of, you're not enough. And yet we see at the end of the book, no, he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bigger view of God is enough in the midst of this. He's enough 
that view is to know him, to worship him, regardless of our circumstances, that he's good, regardless of what befalls us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the wisdom there is uh, just really good. Yeah. And it's even, it even feels like it cheapens it a little bit to talk about it on a podcast because sure. yeah. suffering is so deep and so profound that we want to give quick answers to it. And a podcast mm. kind of lends itself to, Hey, let's give a quick mm-hmm. summary statement and a quick uh, answer. And yet the reality of entering into suffering is to enter. Right. It, it is to go in and to sit in it and to l- look to see and to beg on God to be present right. in it and to trust that he is. And, and you don't always get an answer right. at the end. And so I think that that is one of the, I don't want to say answers or lessons from Job, because even though there's some of that's true, there's, it's more of just some of the reality of right. Job is um, God allows us to take our suffering to him and know that he is present in it. And that is the great comfort that we need. Mm-hmm. I think too, just remembering that, our suffering is in the hands of a good God. Um, and he had to allow Satan to do it. It wasn't like Satan just has full reign and right. can Out do whatever field, he wants. God was shocked by it. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, no matter what happens, we know that God has purposefully allowed this in our lives and ha- actually has a purpose in suffering for you as an individual and for your walk with him and how he's going to use that for his glory. And, Again, it's easy to say these things and it's easy, but when you're actually walking through that, I can imagine that that's a minute by minute, okay, I have to trust in the goodness of God and that he has allowed this. Um, Satan isn't just running rampant and in control of my my life and my heart. So, what, One of the, and, and this will be the, the last point for me, but one of the cool things, and you talk about the goodness of God, of seeing the goodness of God in the innocent suffering of for, for mm-hmm. us as believers uh, that's the very foundation of our faith. We, we know God is good because Jesus Christ, the innocent, truly suffered. And, and so, now, again, that's not to take away from any present suffering for ourselves. That's ter- hard and rough. And yet, this this category that the friends didn't really have of this idea of an innocent suffer, they didn't have a category for that. Mm-hmm. And yet, obviously, this side of the cross, we as believers say, praise God, there was a true innocent suffer uh, in Christ. Uh, and it's because of that that in the midst of our really real and hard and painful suffering, we can cling to hope. Uh, and that we have this paradigm that even in the midst of death and suffering, God still can redeem that and turn that into good. And, and, and obviously that the cross is the biggest example of that. Yeah. And it's the cross where uh, in, in First Corinthians, Paul says that God chose the foolish things of the world yeah. to shame the wise. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at wisdom literature and wisdom uh, we have to look at it through the lens of God because right. what what felt and seemed foolish in the eyes of the world and what will seem foolish in our own eyes sometimes can actually be the wisdom of God mm-hmm. because in the cross he, he chose what was foolish um, and it was truly his wisdom. So um, any last thoughts, guys? Let's go. Okay. Well, um, enjoyed it. We will... Uh, hopefully get to do this again. Uh, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast, a production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com. Mm-hmm.